Yes. Yes. Good you might not. It's um, a year, all but three weeks, since I stood here before you all, giving my testimony about the amazing things that God has done for me. Excuse me, I'm ever so emotional. It's a year minus two days since I took, well, since I was a drunk, since I took my last drink as a drunk and with no power over it. I do feel sometimes that the other miracle I experienced at that time was sort of brushed under the carpet, really, is that if you remember, the Lord cured me of lung cancer. And what happened was the drink became the more important thing. Well, I'm not really sure which it was, but in both cases it was the Lord, otherwise I wouldn't be here. Um, can't read my own writing now, sorry. I, um, yeah, since my cancer was cured, and it was a true miracle, I subsequently, can't speak, received verbal awards from various consultants at different hospitals about being the fastest recovering patient they'd ever seen. Well, I didn't do that either. <laughs> indeed, indeed, during post-op checkups, which I had a lot of, I would walk into a room with a different consultant that I'd never seen before, and he'd say, oh, you're that lady that recovered really quickly. I couldn't believe that I was known throughout the system, because they have meetings, don't they, every week, and they have a chit-chat about people, and they'd mention to each other that, that, you know, I think my surgeon got the gold star. <laughs> but, but anyway, talking about my surgeon, she took all the praise for me not drinking, because obviously I've seen her recently, and I had to confide in, in her the night before my op that I was an alcoholic um, because of medication, because of anaesthetic and all sorts of things. It wasn't easy, but I thought, well, I don't really want to die on the table, so I'd better tell them so that they give me the correct medication. And she said afterwards, oh, she really was a lovely woman. And um, Tanya would know, when I found out it was going to be a woman, I thought, oh, no, I don't like lady car drivers. Well, lady surgeon, I wasn't sure about that either. <laughs> But she was brilliant. She was absolutely brilliant. Anyway, she said, when I opened you up, she said, I found a little switch inside of you. And it said, alcohol on or off, or yes or no. And she said, I hope you don't mind, but I switched it to no. <laughs> so she took all the praise for that. She thinks she cured me of, of being an alcoholic. The Lord did everything for me, and this is so, so vitally important. I don't know if any of you can remember in my last testimony, I felt like I was lifted up and I'd been on a hoverboard for the whole of last year, this year. I actually didn't do anything. It was that amazing, the miracle, because I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do it myself. I didn't want to drink. Poor Glennie knows. I didn't want to drink and I tried this and I tried that. How about this? This isn't meant to be in a funny way, but I had a stint at... Um, Alcoholics Anonymous, which actually, sorry, it didn't work for me. It, did, it does for lots of people, but it didn't for me. And I did go through the motions, and I did get me little badges, you know, one day, five days, however long it got to. And then I got made a sponsor. I don't know if it was because I talked a lot. I don't know, some, something <laughs> like that. But I got made into a sponsor. 
Try and get your head around this, because I can't. Well, I can, but... I had, I can't remember now if it was nine or 14 people that I was sponsoring. You'll remember, won't you? I was on the phone constantly, day and night, day and night. Try and understand this. All the time, oh, 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 it was either nine or 14 people. Stop drinking. Genuinely, genuinely stop drinking while I was on the end of the phone giving them advice, swigging a bottle of wine. I couldn't do it. I can't understand. I knew all the right things to say, but I couldn't put them in place for myself. Anyway, I'm kind of going to go a bit backwards and forwards, cause, but like I did it last time, it, it all comes good in the end. So, backtracking. I was born into a, a free church, evangelical church in North London. I was dedicated to it when I was four months old, and subsequently I got baptised when I was 16 or 17. That's one of them things we've got to find out, wasn't it, to get my certificate. So, unknown to some of you, the Lord has always been in my life, although I had moments, you know, where I... I mean, the Americans call it backsliding, don't they, where I didn't go to church, and one of those times was... Sorry, but when I met a male, you know, and I took him to church and he didn't like it, I actually did end up marrying him, but he, he, he didn't like the church, and so I stopped going, and unfortunately, that time, I did turn my back on God, even though I knew he was wonderful. However, during that time at... at this is relevant, then. During that time in church, the, the, one of the elders there, a couple, a uh, married couple, they had a, a son and his wife, Barbara, Philip and Barbara, they were called, and they were sponsored by our church at the time. To, they founded and ran a leprosy mission in Kathmandu, in Nepal. And I so wanted to go. I, so, I can't tell you. I so, so, so wanted to go. That was my thing. You know, I, I really wanted to be a missionary. I know we've spoken about this lots, but it was a burning desire. Anyway, cut to the chase. Then, obviously, I got involved with alcohol, unfortunately. All my friends were very wealthy and big socialising people and I just got caught up with it. And before I knew where I was, I was hooked at a very, very, very young age. Um, 19, 20, something like that. So obviously I've been doing it for a couple of years. Anyway. <laughs> Why are they laughing? Anyway. Um... Where have I got to? Yeah, so I, I wanted to do that. And I always felt that God had plans for me. Everybody says, don't they? Everybody feels that God has a plan for them. And I really believed that his plan for me was to be a missionary of some kind, to reach out to people. Anyway, when I had this cancer that was gone, that was good news. And then this amazing stopping drinking, which you know, I haven't got enough time to tell you how many times I'd tried, different places I'd been, rehabs, haven't I? Hundreds of rehabs, home detoxifications, all this time with a burning desire. But I couldn't do it. I, I wanted it, I craved it, I physically went to the places to ask and bared my soul and did get help, but it just didn't work until last year. Now, all of that's fantastic and fabulous, it, it was, it is, until 
bear in mind, I'm two days off a year. Two days off a year. Yeah. Well, no. This is why I didn't want to be first, because I wanted to be giving glad tidings. Uh, about a month ago, no idea, no idea, I don't know why, and because of what's happened, Glenn has asked me this morning, why? Have I turned my back on God? No. No, I haven't. I need him now more than ever. But about a month ago, I thought, um, I know, I'll make a lovely birth beginner in the slow cooker. Lovely dinner. Make it in the morning, chuck it, forget about it. And what I needed to go in that, as everybody will know, would be just a glass of red wine. I don't like red wine. I wasn't worried about that. And because I've been doing this for nearly a year, you know, you get blasé. And I thought, no, I'd be all right. And I don't know if any of you can remember when I gave my other testimony, one of the miracles was that after my operation, I couldn't stand the smell or the taste. Do you remember me saying? I, I just, it was abhorrent to me. So I thought, oh, yeah, that'll be all right. Alcohol burns off in your cooking, doesn't it, ladies, as we know? And it was just a thing. Nothing happened. Undid the lid, sniffed it, and I thought, oh, that doesn't smell so horrible. And I didn't drink it. I did not drink it. I tipped the bottle. It was only one of those little tiny ones like that. Tipped it on my finger, put it on my tongue, feeling so 100% confident. And I thought, well, I don't know. It didn't taste horrible anymore. What a horrible thing to happen. And you see, this is, again, it, it's none of me, so none of my input. But that passed. But then I've struggled ever since. That I, I can't say if it's that day. I can't. I just, I really can't tell you why. But anyway, look, uh, cut to the, what's it? I did have a drink of wine last night. And I don't know why. I don't know why. I didn't want to do it. I don't want to get back on that, what would you call it, slippery slope. I don't want to do that. That's not how I am. I've got all these things. Oh, I missed a bit out. So wanting to become a missionary, and I've been chatting to Dan about it, and he's put some wonderful things in place for me to do. Um, and it would involve, just very briefly, it would involve me trying to reach out to alcoholics, but obviously to tell them about Jesus. And I've got to find better words to explain it to people than I have done to you today, because I just felt like that. And perhaps I was too laid back about it, because I didn't put in any effort. It, God did it for me. I can't impress that upon any of you enough. I could not do it myself, as much as I wanted. My relationship was on the line, my children, everything, but I still could not do it. And if anybody's ever had an addiction, it's, it doesn't make you a bad person. It's, it's just horrible. It is the nastiest thing. And especially when you don't want it. You know, it, it's, it's unbelievable. Anyway, Dan has put some lovely things in place for me to be able to go, hopefully, to try... Because I found myself, some, my sister watched my testimony last night for the first time from a year ago. And she said to me this morning, my goodness me, she said, I didn't realise you could speak like that. She said, you've really got a down-to-earth approach. What you're planning to do will be great. And I thought, 
forgive me everybody, but for want of a different way of explaining it, to try to spread the word of the, of the Lord to people, I have done, I mean, one of my sons in particular, it's just like bashing your head out of a wall, and I get called a Bible basher. And, and it's horrible. But I hoped that if I could approach alcoholics, I know what they're going through. I know what they feel like. And so therefore, I would be able to say, hey, look at me. Look, look what the Lord did for me, which is the truth. And anybody that knows me, I couldn't be more serious at this moment. So why? Why did I have a drink last night? Now, I don't plan to go back to how I was. I don't feel very well today. Oh, I really don't feel very well. So the first thing that Ben said to me today was, you, you, you must have turned your back on the Lord. No, I haven't. Do you know, I'm guilty of overthinking things. I don't know if this is true, because the alcoholic brain really does look for excuses, and it's quite good at it. But I, I don't want anything, I don't want any part of what I've done. Of, of course, I have to. But I just think, I wonder if the other fella, you know, the nasty one, the red one, I, went, I wonder if he thought, oh my goodness me, she's nearly done a year, now look what she's going to go and do. I don't know. Or, or am I trying to find an excuse for myself? I, I don't know the answer. Paul, he was asking me this morning, all morning and in the car, you know, what's the reason? What's happened? Nothing. I haven't had a row or a fallout with anybody. Nobody's upset me. We haven't, even we haven't had a row. Nothing's, nothing's gone wrong. Nothing, I can't. I've got to be honest. I mean, this being free of addiction, aside from God, of course, but the first thing I think that we have to do is to be honest. You, there's no point in lying. There's this just, if you want to get fixed and freed from any addiction, you have to be honest. Obviously, it sounds like a cliche, doesn't it? You have to be honest to everybody else and honest with yourself, which is why I didn't want to be first, because <laughs> now you know, because I felt that I'd had gloom to deliver because of what I did last night, when really, take last night away, I was still on the cloud, but I don't know if he's got fed up with me. I don't, I, I don't understand. We should, I should have spoken to him privately, maybe, I don't know. Why, why has it happened? I can't find a reason. I've, I wasn't uptight, I wasn't upset. I mean, no one's life is perfect. Mine's not perfect, but it, there was nothing wrong yesterday. Why I did it, I don't know. So I've been on my knees this morning, begging for forgiveness, and also, you know, and I feel so cheeky, really, asking him, please, can you help me again? I don't, I don't want to do this again. I don't want to have done it in the first instant. I know what it feels like to be saved, well, to be saved, but to be saved from addictions. And I know that it was the Lord, but suddenly my hoverboard has gone and I've just touched. Do you know what I mean, anybody? Yes. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Oh, I'm oh, thank you. And I have not denied him. I promise I haven't. And I want him back to help me. I think that you will, but I can't do it myself. I, I just can't do it without him. Is he, do you think he gave me enough help and thought, right, you're on your feet now? Well, it wasn't, I was on my hoverboard, but do you think that he, he thought, right, you're okay now, you, you're doing it by yourself, 
I'll, I'll go and look after somebody else. Do you think he did that? Do you think then that's when I fell? Well, I don't have the answers. But anyway, to what this morning was about, yes, the Lord does cure addictions, especially for somebody like me that could not, and I've tried it. I mean, I think back now to those times when he'd be moaning, oh, you're not on the phone again. No, I've got to help these people. I've got to help these people. Pass me that bottle of wine out of the fridge, can you? Because I could... I don't know why, I, I don't know. But I couldn't do it, but I could do it for them. There's a lot of things to think about. I don't know. But anyway, I think that that's me done. I probably have forgotten something. Amazing. It's not amazing. I feel terrible. <laughs> Debbie, God will honour that honesty. That was raw honesty, and he will use that. It was absolutely amazing, and I, I haven't forgotten Debbie's testimony a year ago. Uh, when I sat down there myself, addicted to alcohol, listening to that testimony, it was powerful. On the 11th of December last year, I was at the end of a two-week holiday in Gran Canaria, I'd taken myself off to the larger pool area away from our villa. I wanted to be on my own. I downloaded a book that I had to read. A section of that book had been read to me by a close family member eight years previously. It was a paragraph of a chap who had been addicted to alcohol and had subsequently recovered uh, with the support of the organisation that Debbie's uh, mentioned in her testimony. So there I was, eight years later. I started to read the book and the 12 steps, but I didn't get any further than the first step, which reads, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our lives had become unmanageable. My life had become unmanageable. I'd been binge drinking since around 2010. Polishing off a bottle of wine a night was easy, followed by whiskey. I would open the whiskey when I watched my favorite TV programs, Peaky Blinders, Guzzling Gangsters in Birmingham, Game of Thrones, and I would sit on my own late into the night, into the early hours of the morning. My partner, Matthew, had become concerned, had started to hide alcohol, something my mother had done, who was a chronic alcoholic, and I'd started to tell fibs, at the same time living as a Christian. My family were concerned <clears throat> but I was completely enslaved to alcohol. I couldn't find a way to give it up, and I didn't want to. So here I am eight years later after a close family member read that part in the book. When they read that part in the book, that testimony, the words hit me like bullets. I was convicted. And so I read and understood that my life had become unmanageable. 
At the end of that first step, I just simply bowed my head and said a little prayer, three words, God help me. That was it. But a couple of years before this point, something had been happening inside of me. Like a, it was like a small voice. It was more of an invitation, an invitation to surrender, to yield. I recognized this as an invitation from God. But I didn't want to go down there where that invitation was. I wasn't ready to yield. I wasn't ready to surrender. And so as I prayed that prayer, I went down there where that invitation had been for two years previously and surrendered. And that song we sang is so appropriate. I surrendered. I surrendered. I walked away from the pool area, not feeling any different, not knowing if anything had happened. It was our last night, so we were out having dinner that last night. The wine was swirling. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Was I going to drink? Was I not going to drink? I didn't feel any miracle had happened. But then days turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months. A few weeks after I had stopped drinking, I, I was puzzled. I was bewildered. What had happened to me? And I started to read a number of books um, about alcohol addiction because I had to find out what did this miracle look like when we read the stories of Jesus in the Bible. If he's uh, healing the, 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 the man who is lame, it's quite clear what the miracle is. He couldn't walk, now he can walk. Or the deaf man, well, he couldn't hear, now he can hear. The blind man, well, he couldn't see, now he could see. The dead man, well, he was dead, and now he's not. What did my miracle look like? And then I began to understand. God had removed the triggers from my brain. The triggers are six o'clock. You've heard this all on Facebook and social media. It's wine o'clock. Sunday is gin o'clock. Everything is some alcohol o'clock. These are triggers. Six o'clock was a trigger when I would crack open that bottle of Rioja and then later on move on to whiskey. If God had removed the triggers, therefore he removed the cravings. This was why, and you'll know this, Debbie, I could walk down the alcohol aisle in Tesco's and not bat an eyelid. The first time I did that, I almost fainted. I had never been able to walk down the aisle without picking up a bottle of whiskey, which I got through a couple of bottles a week, as well as a bottle of wine a night. So God had removed the cravings and the triggers. So what had God done? Well, here is the miracle that God did for me. God had performed brain surgery. He had re-engineered my brain, removed those triggers so that the cravings didn't come. He had done. Now, you can't see my miracle, but that's what it is. My miracle is in here. Praise God. Um, well, I ate a lot 
you could have probably guessed that. Um, I had an addiction to food, um, any food, all food, whatever was in front of me, I couldn't stop eating. And you think, well, <laughs> that's not, you've got to eat, haven't you? Um, but my eating wasn't normal. Um, I call it a gluttony addiction, <laughs> but it had gone a bit further than that because I was starting to take tablets and, um, yeah, starting to try and stop it myself, but all the while still eating. Um, so when Patrick gave his first testimony about stopping drinking, um, I was 17 and a half stone and growing. Um, I tried everything. I couldn't stop eating. Um, and I thought, when Patrick came up, he said about having prayer, and I thought, well, that's all I've got left, which sounds terribly selfish, but of course it is. Um, <laughs> that is all I had left. So um, that, that, that Sunday, people were invited for prayer, and I had prayer. And like, again, like Patrick, nothing happened. I didn't feel any miraculous change. I didn't shake or fall over or anything. Um, Claire and um, Daph prayed for me. Thank you. Um, but I realized that I, food wasn't calling me. Somehow that um, yeah, well, trigger, I suppose, but I had triggers with every sort of food, um, was, had stopped. I didn't have to eat. I ha obviously had to eat to live, but I didn't have to eat. And, um, well, I decided to go to Slimming World because um, I wanted to be accountable. Um, and I... A month ago, I'd lost three and a half stone. So, um, and people were saying to me, "You, you look really good." Which is no, no, don't, don't, don't. Because a month ago, I had the same problem as. Somehow it went the inability to the or the attraction. It was at an event which was traumatic for me, but before that I'd had difficulties and, and I'd, it hadn't come back. But at this event, there was everything laid out for me. It was as if I'd had my whole temptations laid out in front of me and my past, and um, I couldn't stop eating. The buffet was open and I partook. Um, 
It's been more difficult since. I don't have... Uh, <coughs> the eating between meals hasn't been there, but it's been more difficult. And I think sometimes it's like Deb said, we, we get to a point where somehow we think we're doing it ourselves, maybe. That we've managed it, and especially when people are saying, oh, that's great, you look great, that's why I said no. Because that starts making you think you've done it. But you haven't. God did it. Not me. I wanted accountability and I'm weighed every week and, you know, it makes you feel good. But it's not me. That was God in my head changing how I felt about food. And I obviously still have to eat. <laughs> so, but, yes, I, want, I just want to give thanks because God has been wonderful. I want to ask him to help me again. And these stories, they're wonderful, you know, because you share. You could, it gives you something to share about the Lord that people connect to. It's not just um, you. It affects everybody around you, and it allows you to speak the word of God into people's lives in a way that they can understand. And that is the wonder of the miracles that God's done amongst us and with me. So that's that. I, Dan tells me I need to tell you a picture I had this morning, which I've forgotten. Open my Bible, so I'll tell you properly. Um, I saw a snake, um, and it was wrapped round um, someone, anyone, a, a sort of anyone person. And um, the person was trying to pull the coils off. It was like an anaconda, you know, one that tightens, it coils around you. And... Uh, um, they were pulling the tail off, and just as they got that bit off, it would spring back, and then they'd get the neck bit, and that would spring back. It didn't matter how hard they tried. They couldn't get it off. It was just gradually squeezing and squeezing. And um, But, you know, we don't have to worry about that snake that's got us. That snake is like the addictions we've been talking about. Um, it doesn't matter how hard you try, it'll squeeze you somewhere else until you go to Jesus, because it's Jesus who crushes the head of the snake. Amen. And um, that's for all of us. We all have addictions of some sort. We, they might not be obvious, but I mean... I was sitting there thinking about pornography. It grabs people in its coils. They're wrapped in it. They try and stop, but they can't. But Jesus has crushed the head of that addiction and everybody else's. It doesn't have to be alcohol. Thank you. Thank you.
So, oh, how's that looking? Um, so we just really want to honour our friends for their vulnerability and honesty. And I love the fact that we're, they're not sorted, because none of us are. Um, and God's grace is what we depend on. So thank you so much for your realness and your honesty. Um, we're going we're gonna, to, David's going to come and lead us in some prayers. We're going to have the Bible reading. I'm mindful of time because I then have a... Just the first two verses from Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Man, thanks, Andrew. If we can leave that up, actually, please, on the screen, that, that reading. It's only a couple of verses. Um, so the book of Romans, which is in the New Testament, is a very um, majestic book describing God's salvation plan for all, for Jew and for Gentile. In it, Paul builds uh, an argument uh, describing in great detail how God has had mercy. God has had mercy. And when he gets to this passage, with all that in mind, he speaks to the people and says, in view of God's mercy, this is how to live your life. Everything we've heard today comes under the umbrella of God's mercy. Our friends who shared their testimony are in the hands of a merciful God. We rely on God's mercy, his grace, his compassion, his love. The Apostle Paul, in view of God's mercy, doesn't say, in view of all of that, for the really keen ones, here's something you can do. For the grade A Christians, maybe this is something for you. No, he urges everybody Brothers, sisters, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And Jesus sacrificed himself for us once for all on the cross. He died so that we didn't have to. He gave his life that we might have life. It was once and for all. But in response to what Jesus has done, this call is to give ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. If you're a living sacrifice, that means you're ongoing. <laughs> you know, when you sacrifice something once and it's, it becomes dead, as it were, but we're living sacrifices. And God's calling us to live a lifestyle of sacrifice. Ongoing. Lay your whole life on the altar. 
don't just give him a bit of life, give him your all. We've heard of the struggle that people have had, and many others will experience, with addiction. You can't keep one eye on God and one eye on the addiction. You can't just hedge your bets and say, oh, well, you know, I'll have a backup plan. You've got to give your all to God. You've got to surrender, as we've been singing, everything to him. Now notice it says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We talk about giving God our hearts. Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul. In Paul's day, the ancient Greeks saw the body as a tomb, and and what really counted was the heart, was the soul. And yet God doesn't view us as divided up in its soul, mind, spirit. It's all connected. You know when someone says to you, I won't be there, but I'll be there in spirit. That's nice. But if someone says, I will be with you, and I'm physically going to do all I can, I'm going to be there. That's better, isn't it? Offer God your body. Give your all to him. As a living sacrifice. Addictions, yes, they start in the mind. We heard about the triggers that start in the mind. But then they lead to physical actions, whether it's picking up the bottle or the cake or whatever it might be. Offer your bodies, your physicality to God. Just give him everything you are. Holy and pleasing to God. And what is this? This is worship. This is your true and proper worship. Worship, yes, we sing some songs. But God's looking for us to just give all of ourselves to him. Surrender. Worship. Give it all to him. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. A bit of culture for you. There's a book by Franz Kafka called Metamorphosis. And in it, a man wakes up one day and his body has turned into that of a giant insect. He's still a person on the inside, but he looks down and his body has transformed. He's become something that he's not. The word that Paul uses here for transformed is metamorphosis. Now, God doesn't want us to undergo a metamorphosis into something that we're not, His goal is that we go through a metamorphosis into something that we truly are. And the Spirit's work within us helps us become the real Glenn, the real Tanya. And it's an ongoing work. That word transformation, 
being transformed also comes in Mark chapter 9 where Peter, James and John are led up the mountain and they see Jesus undergo a metamorphosis in front of their very eyes. He becomes transfigured, transformed. But what they see is the real Jesus. Yes, he's a carpenter from Nazareth, but what they see is the heavenly Jesus shining in his glory and they can barely behold him. He's so terrifying. That's the real Jesus. And they get a glimpse just then. Same word here. God's will for you is that you become more and more glorious. More and more like Jesus. Your life did not peak at 30 and then it's downhill from there on. You, did not, you are not destined to become a crabby, crabbier and more and more grumpier version of yourself. <clears throat> believe it, it's true. I believe in miracles. It's not downhill from now on. Actually, God's will for us is to go from glory to glory. Do you know you're a glorious people? Yes. Mm. Be transformed. Wouldn't say it if it wasn't possible. All things are possible through Jesus who loves us and is in us by, our spirit, by his Spirit. Holy Spirit is powerful. And he wants us to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. All around us, we're constantly bombarded, influenced. It's very subtle at times, but the influence of this world is all around. We've got to be a little bit ruthless. We can't play games and keep one foot in one camp and one foot in the other. It gets a bit uncomfortable. Give your all to Jesus. And give your thoughts to him. Do you ever find yourself you know, on, a, on a mental pathway and you think, hang on, I know where this takes me. This leads me down an unhelpful road. This train of thought, I know where the destination ends. And it's not good. Allow the Holy Spirit to prompt you and be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. We give God our bodies, but we also allow Holy Spirit to renew our minds. We give every thought to God. How does this happen? This happens by every day. Lord, I give you my thoughts. As I wake up in the middle of the night, even then I've got a choice. Am I going to be anxious about something and let it turn around in my mind, become bigger than it really is? Or am I just going to surrender? Lord, I worship you. I thank you that you love me. <laughs> if we can do this, then we're told here, we'll be able to test and approve God's will. Now people want to know, what's God's will for my life? It's a common question. This is God's will for your life. To become more and more glorious. To be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. To be different from the world around. This is God's will. If we keep on doing this, renewing our minds, 
given ourselves to God, then guess what? We can start to see the wood for the trees. We start to get a heavenly perspective on the bog that we were in. We see it through God's eyes. Now, there's plenty of books on self-help, power of positive thinking and all that. That's, that's not what this is. This is about thinking God's thoughts after him. Because it says in the scripture, and it says in Book of Romans, you don't have to go any further, that we are more than conquerors. Amen. Well, if the word says it, it's true. Oh, but I don't feel it, and I've always thought I was a bit rubbish. It's not true. It's a lie. You are more than a conqueror. It's thinking God's thoughts after him. Saying, Lord, okay, lead me. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to memorize these two verses. Great thing to do. I'm going to think God's thoughts after him. I'm going to agree with what the Holy Spirit says about me. We've heard today about addictions, and they can come in all forms. You might say, I'm not, I'm not an addict, but it really does come in all sorts of forms. How many people? First thing in the morning. I'm not saying this to be judgy, okay? Please, please hear me. First thing in the morning, smartphone. Last thing at night, smartphone. We've become a nation of addicts to our smartphones. What about, you know, I like to work hard, I'm a hard worker. But then I just can't stop thinking about work. The word is, I'm workaholic. <laughs> You're addicted to work. Is it a problem? Well, yes it is, if it gets in the way of everything else. It's about offering our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Lord, not my way, but your way. Not my will, but yours be done, Lord. So I'd like to invite the band to come back. That's right. Great. And if they're not in a rush, I'd love Patrick and Debbie and Jennifer to hang around. And maybe, could you just like be available? Maybe stand over here even? Or wherever, I don't, doesn't matter how it happens. Get them to pray for you. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you've got a terrible addiction. Uh, and you know, because we don't play the shame and blame game here. We're here to support one another. We're here to journey together. And we're here to acknowledge that we cannot do this. But God can and all things are possible through him. In view of God's mercy, give yourself to him. So finish our service. Declare in the name of 